The scripture reading for this morning is taken from Isaiah 52, verses 1 through 10. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord. Seeing that my people are taken away for nothing, their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice, together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Merry Advent to all of you. I have a few um, just additions to some of the things that were shared about the announcements. We did uh, talk about, so he mentioned that out in the foyer, there's a Christmas tree, and our compassion team has identified our key sponsor for the holiday season as an organization called MICA, which is a holistic community development organization. A lot of you picked up these ornaments on these ornaments. These are decorated by our kids. On the backside, there is a request for a gift card. These gift cards are going to be uh, returned uh, to Helen or to one of the members of the compassion team out there in the foyer. So if you didn't get one of these, you can take one. If you took one, the message is they're due... The gift cards are due next week. Our goal is 75. We're at 10. We're getting there. Um, but as Advent is kicking in, as Christmas is coming, uh, don't forget uh, to bring those back. The other thing I wanted to share, oh, I, I left it down here. Um, we have a, a number of these. This is the Jesse Tree Advent Family Devotional. It's something that I discovered actually just last week. I just discovered this for families, even for individuals, for couples. This is a daily Advent devotional. We've been doing it. Uh, don't worry if you're behind. We're actually a little behind in getting behind, but you can catch up. There are ornaments in here for you to use as a family to decorate, and there are passages for you to read for each day uh, during Advent. And just a tip. For families that are interested in doing something like that and thinking, uh, it's hard enough for me to do something like that maybe once a week or once a month. How am I going to do it every day during a busy Advent season? Our, our secret 
is to use chocolate, use candy as an incentive. We, we use an Advent chocolate calendar, and that is motivation enough for our kids for us to remember, do the Jesse tree so we can have our chocolate. Um, well, as we've been as we've been saying, this is the season of Advent, the first Sunday in Advent, and our, our series this Advent is called Good News, Great Joy. You can see the, the updated graphic there. This, um, this title is taken from the announcements of the angels when they appeared to the shepherds on the night of Jesus' birth. In Luke 2, they said, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. As you look at that graphic, um, we'll be seeing that for, you know, the next four or five weeks. Some people have said, oh, man, those, those wings remind me of, like, a biker gang or something, like Hell's Angels. But if you think that, that's not Hell's Angels, that's Heaven's Angels. And I love, I love the way those wings look in that graphic. As the year winds down, 2017, uh, I know we'll be seeing, as we do every year, articles, um, stories, TV specials that are recapping the year, doing a year in review for 2017. And although those articles and and TV specials have not come out, I think we can anticipate a little bit of what they'll be saying because 2017, I think, was, was a pretty hard year, especially the second half of 2017. It seems like every week we've been hit with, with some kind of bad news. And I don't know if you're feeling it. I'm, I'm feeling like it's a bombarding of bad news where we have uh, hurricanes and natu- natural disasters, Houston, Florida, the Caribbean, Puerto Rico. We've seen mass shootings in 2017, Vegas, in churches and globally around the world. We have a continued racial, cultural, uh, political tensions and divides. They, they don't seem to be going away, but in some ways, they seem to be actually getting worse. And, and now we're seeing horrific acts of abuse that, that are coming to light in every uh, major institution in our society. If we add to this some of the bad news that we're experiencing in our personal lives, it's a lot. That's a lot for us. And a lot of us, I think, are either feeling discouraged or we're we're struggling with discouragement. And I hesitate to bring that up here at the beginning of Advent and as Christmas is around the corner because that's kind of a downer to bring all that up. Advent and Christmas, it's supposed to be happy, supposed to be cheerful. And also, even that list of bad news stories that have come out in 2017. What could I possibly say to address all of those things? They're so terrible, and some of them are so deeply troubling. But as I was reading and praying a few weeks ago about what to focus on this Advent, I got to those words in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, where the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy. And it just struck me, because there had been so much bad news, and because each week I'm, I'm reluctant and afraid. I'm a, I'm a Twitter user. I like to check Twitter. But on Sundays, I don't like to check Twitter because I'm afraid there's going to be some bad news. There's going to be some terrible news. And I don't know if I'll be prepared to address it or how can we pray for that. And so I've just been, I don't even want to look at, at Twitter or check the news uh, before we worship together. But that's why that verse struck me. As it stood out, I said, 
That's the question. How can we be joyful people? How can we be good news people in a world where there's so much bad news? Is that possible? If there is good news of great joy for all people because of Christmas, then we need that now. We need that more than ever now. How can we get that joy? Well, for the next uh, three sermons, we'll be in Luke chapters 1 and 2 where the The birth story of Jesus is narrated for us and told, but this morning we'll start in the book of Isaiah in chapter 52. One of our sons, we have four sons, is named Isaiah because Isaiah is my favorite prophet in the Old Testament. So if I have anything in common with Jesus, I think it's this, that Jesus' favorite prophet, I would argue, from the Old Testament was Isaiah. He quoted Jesus And the Gospels quoted Jesus more than any other of the Old Testament prophets. In fact, we could say Jesus' main message, His theme message, was taken from the book of Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 52, the chapter we just read, verse 7. There in verse 7 it says, How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of of those who bring good news. And at the very end it says, The one who says to Zion, Your God reigns. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, we learn that Jesus' message when He preached the good news was this, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel, the literal translation of that word gospel is good news. So Jesus said, the kingdom is at hand, your God reigns. That's the good news that I've come to bring to the world. So what Isaiah wrote about all those years ago, Jesus said, it's happening now because I am here. When these angels appeared to the shepherds, they were saying, this passage in the book of Isaiah is fulfilled now because of Christmas, because this little baby, because this little boy has been born. Because of Christmas, this news can bring us the kind of joy that we can have even in the worst of times, even in the hardest of times. So today we're going to look at how we can have joy and discouragement. Joy to the discouraged. There's three things I think this passage, there's three things I want to look at that come from this passage that show us how joy can come to the discouraged. And if you're following along in your outline, you'll see we have three, three points. The first is don't tune out your discouragement. Don't tune out your discouragement. The quick fix with all this bad news for our discouragement might be to say, let's just ignore it all. Like I was saying I do on Sundays with Twitter. Just tune it out. Don't turn on the TV. Don't check the websites. Just forget it. It's just all too bad. We can't handle it. Let's just forget about it. Or personally, we might feel like there's so many bad things happening. I'm just not going to dwell on the bad things in life. I'm just going to move on, move forward, and block it all out. Look at the brighter side of things. While there may be a lot of wisdom for us to be gained in how we interact with the 24-7 news media and, and not dwelling on our problems, this is not Isaiah's approach to handling discouragement here. His approach is actually very counterintuitive. It's the reverse. He says, don't tune out all the bad news and all the discouragement. What he shows us is we actually need to listen to it. We need to tune in all the more closely in order for us to be able to hear the good news and find true joy. So, the people who Isaiah wrote to, 
and who, whom he prophesied to, they were in a very, very hard time. They were in a very discouraging situation. This part of Isaiah, chapter 52, was written to Israel, was written to the people of Judah while they were in exile. In 586 B.C., the city of Jerusalem was invaded by the Babylonians. It was destroyed, and its people were taken captive to Babylon. This was the lowest point in the Old Testament story. And they were in the very middle of this low point and had been hit with bad news story after bad news story. And they were deeply discouraged. There was no end in sight. Before Isaiah tells them there is an end, there is good news coming, first he describes their situation for what it is in verses 1 through 6. I loved how John read it. He said, wake up, wake, awake, awake. And if we were asleep, he got our attention. And that's how Isaiah begins this chapter. He says, wake up. Wake up. He says, you're asleep. If you look at verses 1 through 3, the image is that they're defeated. They're in the dust. They're captive. Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament scholar, and he, he comments on this set of verses. He says the implication of what he's calling to them is that they're dull, they're inattentive, they're hopeless, and they're grief-stricken. To be told that, well, you're already discouraged, that's not very encouraging. That's not a very encouraging approach. But then in verse, verses 4 and 5, he starts to bring up some other parts of their story, of Israel's story. It's already bad enough to be under the oppressive rule of Babylon, but Isaiah then, he says, I want you to remember Egypt. Remember that time? And I also want to call your attention to Assyria. In verse 4, he says, My people went down at first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. And these aren't just a few random references. These are, if Babylon is the worst part of Israel's story, this is worst part number one and two and three. He's bringing up all together in Egypt when Israel was enslaved and oppressed, and in Assyria when they were attacked, and a great portion of their countrymen were defeated and sent into exile. Now, this is like somebody saying to you, oh, you're having a bad day. I'm so sorry to hear that. It sounds like there's a lot of hard things you're facing and you're very discouraged, but do you remember that time in your life? Remember that worst day in your life? And that other time when everything was falling apart in your life and that was the most horrible situation that you ever faced. Just think about that. But that why, why are you telling me this? That is not helping at all. Why is Isaiah doing this? Well, when it comes to Christmas, the message of Christmas is often so sentimentalized. It's so uh, romanticized. We have the peaceful silent night, and all of kind of the cultural narrative around Christmas. It's very nostalgic and warm and peaceful. We, we love some of that in our family. Every year we have to watch the movie Elf, one of our favorite movies as a family. And, and you know Elf, if you know the story, Buddy the Elf says the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to sing loud for all who hear, right? And that's like the key line in the whole story. Singing loud saves the day. And that's, it's good, it's cute, and it's, it's very sentimentalized. But if Christmas is really good news, 
that brings us great joy. It has to address the way things really are in this world. It has to meet us in the place and in the places of our deepest discouragements. So when we look at Isaiah's words, we see that he's saying bad news, our, our discouragement, it's not just something we have to get through in 2017, it's been a bad year, hope for a better year next year. It's not an occasional terrible story that we do have to grieve and get past. It's not just a season of life that we're in and we have to endure. Bad news is a part of the ongoing pattern in human history. Things are not the way they should be. Things are not just a little off. Some of the time, things are very broken. I think what Isaiah is doing is he's inviting us to see that discouragement is a normal response, an appropriate response to living in a world where things are not the way they should be. And we have to feel it. We have to experience it. More than we'd ever want to, to find the joy few words of application. The Bible teaches us that the way to find joy that is, not to, to, is not to tune out all the bad news and the discouragement, but first to tune into it and to listen to it. It's counterintuitive, but as we're tuning in, we have to tune into the questions that all this bad news and discouragement bring into our hearts. And there's two major questions, I think. One is, why is all this happening? Why is there bad news? And how do I respond to it? Why is there so much bad news? How do we respond to it all? Every person, every belief system has to address these questions in some way. These are not, these are not things that we can ignore. Tuning it all out then isn't, isn't an honest intellectual response. It's not an honest emotional response. And I would suggest that, that Christmas, that Christianity, the message of Christianity, especially the message of Christmas, while not answering all the specific why questions we would have about all these instances, and doesn't give us just easy answers and very simple answers, but it provides us with the best reason for the discouragement and the best resources for us to respond to all this discouragement. Why, why is there so much bad news? What's the reason for it all? Christmas says things are not the way they are supposed to be. This is not God's design for the world, so He's coming to fix it. Humanity has not been able to fix it. Humanity has not been able to push out all the discouragement and bad news, so God is coming. Sin and evil are real, so we can expect discouragement. We can expect difficulty in this life. One of the, the first readings in the Jesse Tree devotional that I was showing all of you, I think the third reading comes from Genesis 1. As, as this devotional is tracing the story of Christmas, it starts at the very beginning. Reading from Genesis 1, 26 through 30. Genesis 1, 30 says, God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. There was nothing bad. There was no bad news. So why is there so much bad news? The reason why we're so discouraged by bad news is because that is what has been lost. The world was not designed. Humanity was not made to experience such terrible things. 
the big things, the small discouragements. These, none of these things are God's original design, the way the world ought to be. Every belief system has to account for that somehow. Why is there bad news? Christianity says because things are not the way they should be. And secondly, we also have resources to respond to bad news. Because sin and evil in all its forms, oppression, abuse, racism, and death, they are all intruders into God's design for humanity. Then we need language. We have permission to name them as intruders and to mourn and to grieve over them. That is a part of our calling, my Christian friends, to be salt and light. We don't tune out the bad news, but we learn to name it for what it is, and we learn to mourn and grieve over it. We need language. As we're encountering all these bad stories, we feel a sense there is a natural human response to these things where we might feel outrage. We might feel like we have to say, this is wrong. Christianity says, not only is this wrong, let me give you moral language to express the wrong, to express the moral outrage when we need to. So, for example, Christianity provides resources to speak about the sacredness of our sexuality and our bodies, and resources for servant leadership and peacemaking in a world of political divisions and cultural divisions. We need to use that language and draw upon those resources. And we need language for our lamenting and our mourning. When natural disasters strike, our best and only response is to grieve and to lament that this is not the way things ought to be. As we tune into that, we realize that Christmas is saying the exact same thing. Why would God come in the form of a human being if things were just a little off? If things were the way they've always been, we see God coming into the world, entering in to end, to lift, to meet us in our discouragement and our grieving. When we tune into that, we tune in to the message of Christmas. Don't tune out your discouragement. Secondly, don't shut down in discouragement. There are a lot of recent studies that document the negative psychological and even the physiological effects of seeing so much bad news. I was in the gym and I was running and the, the news was on, and I, I don't really watch local news all that much, but there were, uh, was, as I was running, just like 30 minutes of running, okay, 25, I wasn't running 30, but there were, there were new reports of harassment, sexual misconduct, there were three, a random attack on the streets of Hollywood, somebody just... Uh, struck an, an elderly gentleman. There was a Macy's robbery in L.A. And even that just experienced for me as I was running in the gym, I'm like, that's too much. I, am, I don't want to see any more. I don't want to turn on the news and learn about more bad news. We live in increased fear because of all this bad news and anxiety. And it gives us a sense of reality that is sometimes warped. That everything's dangerous, that everything's hopeless. For really bad news, it actually can cause symptoms that are similar to PTSD when we experience so much bad news, and that leads us to shutting down. The people who Isaiah wrote to had become immobilized. 
themselves because of discouragement, because of fear and grief. And this passage is written to a community. They become so used to the bad news. They become so comfortable with it that they become spiritually asleep. They had lost any hope of hearing good news. Another commentator, Alec Moitier, he said in this passage, Isaiah is, is challenging people to see how they had become immobilized, how they had gone to sleep because of their discouragement. This week I was reading one of my favorite authors on spiritual formation. His name's Chuck DeGroat. He was a seminary professor at RTS where I went. He talks about these times of deep discouragement. Uh, the language that has been used traditionally throughout uh, the Christian tradition has been the language of the dark night of the soul. That sometimes in our discouragement, things are so dark, things are so difficult, that we don't see light. And that, that's a common thread that has run throughout Christian experience, that this is actually a part of the spiritual journey, the dark night of the soul. But when we get into that dark night of the soul, DeGroote was saying how these dark nights can result in two, two outcomes. When it gets very dark, when it becomes night, we either settle for comfortable sleepiness or we move towards an awakening. Verse 1 again, chapter 52, Isaiah says, wake up. Wake up. Don't get comfortably sleepy in all the bad news and in your discouragement. And there are a number of ways that we can shut down in our discouragement over bad news in our lives. I just wanted to bring up a few. One is through escapism. There's a story by Brett McCracken. Uh, he's a local um, professor and pastor. He does a lot of movie reviews. And this week, he, he did a review on not just one movie, but the group of movies that you would watch uh, under the rubric of the Hallmark Channel, Hallmark Channel movies. I was like, what is this review? I got to read what he's going to say about the Hallmark Channel. He said, the ratings for Hallmark movies are skyrocketing during the Trump era. 2017, Hallmark produced a record 33 new original films. And here's some examples, especially during the holidays, during Christmas. There are probably like half of those or more are about, about Christmas. Here's some examples of the titles. <coughs> Excuse me. A Song for Christmas, The Sweetest Christmas, and Marry Me at Christmas. <laughs> what McCracken says is these movies, they're, 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 they're cheesy, they're shallow, they're predictable, they kind of all follow the same storyline. But people love them. They're making more of them than ever. Why? Why is that? I think we all want an escape from all the bad news. We want to return to a time when things were more simple. Things seem more clear, more peaceful. That's somewhat of an innocent way of escape, but I think it's an example for how when we are in a place of discouragement culturally, personally, we look for places to escape. It could be the Hallmark Channel, but it could be more serious. It could be we escape into our work. We are overdriven. We can escape into various addictions. We can escape by just shutting down and being isolated from community. 
escapism is a way that we shut down. Another way we shut down is, is what I'll call negativism. When there's so much bad news out there, we look at everything and everyone through a negative lens. We're always criticizing, blaming, and talking about what's wrong with the world and who's wrong in the world, and we become so comfortable with discouragement that we actually enjoy being in that negative place. There was a Russian news site. It's called The City Reporter. Um, they decided to do a little experiment. They reported only good news for an entire day. So every, every news story the site came out with were positive stories. Anything that was negative, they put a positive spin on it. For example, uh, they, they had a headline that said, no disruption on the roads despite snow. Instead of saying, like, roads are logjammed because of the snow. And what they found is that they lost two-thirds of their normal readership for that day. That's another way we shut down. We get so used to the negative news that we actually want to hear it. We don't even want to hear the positive spin of the good news. Both these ways of shutting down escapism and negativism are ways we cope with discouragement that squelches our deep longing, our deep yearning for things to be different in this world. But this deep longing is not meant to be shut down. It's not meant to be tuned out and put to sleep, but it's meant to be awakened. It's meant to be strengthened. The Bible continually awakens hope in us for a different world, for the, a longing for the headlines to be different. And Isaiah is saying to his readers and he's saying to us, don't shut that down. Don't shut down that longing. Enter into that longing because it's what will prepare you to hear the good news. Don't tune out your discouragement. Listen to it. Don't shut down in discouragement. Long for it to be lifted. Because, third point, there is great news. There is gospel news of great joy. In verse 7, Isaiah says that joy can come to us. Joy comes when we hear in our discouragement that there is good news, that this news is not only good, but it's true, not only good and true, but it's beautiful. It's good news. It's true news. It's beautiful. In, in verses 7 and 8, if you look at those with me, Isaiah paints a picture for these people who were tuning out. They were shutting down in discouragement. He says, the joy of the gospel is like this. It's like you're in a city, and there's watchmen out on the walls of the city, and everybody in the city knows that there is a battle happening out on the fields. They can't see what's happening. They don't know the results, but everybody's waiting. And he says, there are only, there are only two potential outcomes that they're waiting to see. They'll either see somebody coming who's limping and who's weary, and they can tell by the look on his face that he's defeated. And when he comes into the city, the message he's going to bring to them is, it's not going well. We were defeated. Get ready. It's time to fight. Or scenario two is, when the watchmen are looking out on the walls, they see somebody coming and they know. They can see it in his face, they can see it in his eyes, they can see it in the way that he's walking that 
the army has won. The battle is over. And he's coming with good news. This picture that Isaiah gives to us is a picture that tells us the difference between the message of Christmas, the message of Jesus, and all other messages, all other belief systems, all other religions. Christianity is different than any other belief system in how the message of Christianity brings good news, not good advice. The good news that was coming from the messenger who, who came with news of victory, when the city hears the news of victory, they say, what, what is there left for us to do but to receive this good news and rejoice? The battle is over. The victory has been won. All other religious figures say, I come with instruction. I come with moral code. I come with a way for you to fix yourself and fix this world. And Jesus doesn't come with good advice. When Jesus comes, it's good news. He says, I come, here I am. I don't come telling you how to fix yourself, how to fix this world, how to get out of your discouragement. The most discouraging thing for people to hear who are deeply discouraged is, well, here's how you need to fix this situation. Here's what you can do to get out of this. That's not good news. And Jesus brings us the good news when he says, here I am. God's kingdom has come in me. That's good news. This news is not only good, it's true. You know, I know we're living in, in this time and in this era where we have to discern between true news and fake news. In verse 6 of chapter 52, Isaiah is saying there will, be, there will come a time when, when God's people will know his name, when all people in the world will know that it is God who speaks, and this is what he says, here I am, here I am. The question beneath a lot of our questions when it comes to the bad news is, where is God in all of this? Isaiah is saying, on, on a day, a day will come when people will know God is not absent, but he is present in a world of bad news. There will come a time when without a shadow of a doubt, God will provide a decisive question to the answer, where is God? And the answer will be, here I am. Dorothy Sayers, I think I have the quote um, listed for you there on the, the presentation. And it's also in your bulletin. Dorothy Sayers we've, says we've kind of sanitized the word gospel. We've lost the fact of how sensational it is. I'm going to read this quote. She says that God should play the tyrant over man is a dismal story of unrelieved oppression. That man should play the tyrant over man is a usual dreary record of human futility. But that man should play the tyrant over God and find him a better man than himself is an astonishing drama indeed. Any journalist hearing of it for the first time would recognize it as news. Those who did hear it for the first time actually called it news and good news at that. Though we are likely to forget that the word gospel ever meant anything so sensational. 
the message of Advent, the message of Christmas is very sensational. For us to claim, for us to believe that in this, this manger, in this story, in this little baby is God's decisive answer to the question of where is God in a world of bad news? In Jesus. The sensational news, the sensational claim is that God is saying, here I am. Without Christmas, we lose the truth that God can say to us in all our discouragement, I am here with you in it. Here I am, I have come. Not only to comfort you, but to end, to get to the source, to get to the root of the bad news. If Christmas isn't true, we lose that. The message of Christmas is good, it's true, and finally, it's beautiful. Something can be good and true, but in order for it to capture our hearts and bring joy, the beauty of it has to overcome the ugliness of whatever it is we're facing. It has to meet us at a place in our soul where we don't even have to think about it. We just say, that is good news. If somebody says to you, I have good news for you, you're cured, but you never knew you were sick and you weren't sick, you'd say, oh, thanks. You know, I'm, I'm pretty healthy. All good. If somebody says, good news, you're free of captivity. You're no longer enslaved. I didn't know that I was a slave. Or good news, The defeat that you are under has been lifted. You say, I, I didn't know that I was under a defeat in the first place. Jack Miller uh, was, is a mentor to many of the, the pastors who have been mentors of mine. And he used to say this phrase. You may have heard it before. He used to say, cheer up to people who are discouraged. You're a lot worse than you think you are. Cheer up, God's grace is a lot bigger than you think it is. That we need both of those to experience the beauty of the gospel. Cheer up, the bad news is way more discouraging than we think it is. Cheer up, the gospel is way better news than we'd ever dare dream. As, as a kid, before there was uh, the internet and cell phones and everything, one of my favorite moments in the morning was to get the newspaper I would be like the first one out to get the newspaper, pull it out uh, off the driveway, and the section that I turned to first was the sports page, because I wanted to see if my, te my team won or not. And if I open it up and I saw, usually it was the Chicago Cubs, yes, the Chicago Cubs, one of my favorite uh, teams to follow, I said, if the Cubs won, that's good news. And if they lost, that's bad news. Isaiah 52 is good news if you are on God's team, if you are on God's side. Isaiah 52 is not very good news if you are not on the winning side. In this prophecy, Isaiah is saying, God is coming. He is going to say, here I am, and he's going to say, I have come to reign and to rule. But for those who are resistant to God and rebellious against God, those who are not on God's side, that isn't very good news. Look at verse 10. It says, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see 
the salvation of our God. The most discouraging news, the worst news, is that because of our sin, because of our resistance to God, because of our refusal to surrender to Him and His reign, we aren't on God's side. And Isaiah is saying God is going to roll up His sleeve and He's going to flex. That's this image. He's going to bear His arm. And if you're on His side, you're saying, yes, that's our God. But if you are re rebellious, if you haven't surrendered, if you haven't submitted to this God, then that's a time for you to run. So the question is, how can God deal with the ugliness of the bad news, not just out there, but with us, without bearing His holy arm against us? Well, the answer is actually found a few verses later, Isaiah 52, 13, and then into Isaiah 53. What we learn with the appearance of God coming in His reign in Isaiah 52 is there, there's the appearance of another figure who's known as the suffering servant. And this suffering servant, we see in verse 14 of Isaiah chapter 52, he was... His appearance, Isaiah 52, 14, many were astonished at him because his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of the children of mankind. This suffering servant who's come to establish the reign of God became so marred, became so ugly, he was unrecognizable as even a human being. It says, this suffering servant will sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they will see, and that which they have not heard, they will understand. This is the most beautiful news of all, that this king who has come, God himself has come in order to remove our ugliness, the ugliness of our rebellion, the ugliness of our sin, he has taken it upon Himself. And there is no other way for Him to do that except to enter into it fully as one of us. And so when God bears His arm, when God announces His victory, it's our victory. His arm is for us. And there is deep joy that we can have in knowing that our God reigns, that evil, death, Suffering and sin do not reign in us or in the world. Bad news does not reign. The things that oppress us, that hold us captive personally as a society, they do not reign. And the things that are most discouraging to us right now, they do not reign. But because of Christmas, our God reigns. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would meet us right now in the things that are discouraging us, the things that are weighing down on our hearts. We don't want to tune into those things. We do want to shut down and shut them out of our lives. But I pray that you would enable us to believe that when we listen to our discouragement, that actually we find you there. And I pray for us this Advent. Advent can be 
a very joyful time, a very happy time for many of us, but it can also bring up all kinds of discouragement. And I pray throughout this season that you would lead us into a path of deep and true joy, that the gospel would become all the more good news to us, that we would be all the more convinced of its truth and reality, and it would become beautiful to our souls. We ask for that joy. In Jesus' name, amen.